Settle down, we're about to get started. This is Pod Meets World, the podcast where we talk about Boy Meets World. And who are we? We are Kyle Martinak and Rosalie Martinak. And we're the Martinaks, is who we are. We're a married couple who talks about Boy Meets World because that's a date. Uh, we're here to talk about episode one, the pilot episode of Boy Meets World, entitled uh, Pilot, actually. Didn't have an episode title, just Pilot. And uh, it was 1993, uh, was when this first aired in September of 1993. I actually do have to correct something from episode zero if you listen to that. I said that the show ran for seven seasons from 1993 to 2002, and that's some bad math. It ran until 2000. I just, for some reason, I have a real problem in my head realizing that that show was over with before 9-11. I don't know why I couldn't reconcile that in my head. But anyways, we're here to talk about episode one, which is a pretty breezy affair, I thought. What did you think of it? Did you like it? Um, yeah, I did. There were some things that I had issues with, but, you know, it's going to happen with first episode of any... Yeah, first um, episodes yeah. are clunky. Yeah. Pilots are always kind of clunky because... You're not really sure, I mean, a lot of the times they're shot not really knowing whether the show's going to get picked up or not, but uh, the episode concerns Corey Matthews, who, are, who at this point is 11 years old, and he is trying to go to a baseball game, first with his brother Eric, who bought the tickets, and then eventually has a plan to go with his friends, but he can't because he's in detention with Mr. Feeney over listening to a baseball game on a little portable radio in class, which, I mean, that's the whole episode. The Most of the back half of the episode is just the detention, which is just Corey and Mr. Feeney going back and forth. And, and that's pretty much the whole episode is just some class time, some home time, detention. Detention lasts a good portion of the episode. There's some lessons learned, and that's the end. Does not go to the baseball game. Uh, opens with, th there's a cold open on this pilot that's a strangely disconnected cold open from the rest of the episode, I thought. Uh, we meet Corey, and we meet his two friends at a table mm -hmm. in the cafeteria. Who is that boy? Like, I don't remember him well, at all. Well, the two, the two boys sitting with Corey, who's played by Ben Savage, one of them is Sean Hunter, played by Ryder Strong. The other is i'm pretty sure unnamed he he does not uh get a proper first name i think mr feeney refers to him by his last name the way he does with all of his students but he's played by the kid who played squints from the sandlot 
the one who fakes drowning mm -hmm. so you can kiss the lifeguard. I, I didn't, it didn't register in my head as yeah. we were watching it. You know, I didn't think to look it up, but the actor who, th that actor has a very interesting name. I believe his name is Chauncey. I don't know what his last name is, but I remembered that his name was Chauncey. Uh, Sean actually isn't named in that pilot episode either. He's just Corey's other friend. Corey has two friends, mm -hmm. and this is a running theme through season one, as we'll see, is Corey has two friends at all times for season one, but it's a revolving door of friends. Yeah, it's not the same kid each episode. Yeah, case, case in point, I don't think we see Squints again, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see about that, because I'm fuzzy on a lot of season one. We'll see if we see any of these guys over again, but at this point, Sean is just unnamed other friend. He gets a lot of lines during the cafeteria sequences with all three of them, but Squints arguably is a much more prominent character as they transition into the classroom. We'll get to that, though. Uh, here in the cold open in the cafeteria, the opening joke bugs me. The opening joke of the opening episode of this show is a joke that I, it doesn't quite land for me. Because Corey's buying a candy bar, and Mr. Feeney criticizes this and says, Don't, doesn't your mother give you a proper breakfast? And he says, yeah, yeah, I ate shredded wheat earlier. Oh, thanks, Mr. Feeney. By the way, enjoy some of that astronaut drink that you're sucking down, or something like that. Mm. And I'm instantly like, is, is it Tang? Is Mr. Feeney drinking Tang? Or is he drinking coffee? It looked I thought it was coffee. He's drinking it out of one of those classic disposable coffee cups that they don't make anymore that has the little paper mug ring that you can fold back. I think you could put hot or cold liquids in those cups. I don't think it's just <laughs> yeah. it served for coffee. Obviously, obviously. So he must but... have been drinking Tang or something along those lines. That If they had set that up, that he was drinking Tang, then the punchline works. Be because it's just, it's a television show, so it's clearly an empty cup. And he's doing a bit of, of drink acting. Anyways, that joke was weird for me. Because it, it just felt like it was kind of rushed. And that's how I felt the, the, the whole pilot kind of, it felt very rapid, very clippy editing. The scenes were very short. I don't know, maybe that's just me. I'm, I'm used to modern TV where we sit for a good while while people talk. I, I didn't feel that way, but before we continue with the episode, can we talk about the, the introduction theme song? Oh yeah, well that... we, we've got to talk about the, the opening credits and the theme song, which the theme song on Boy Meets World changes more than any show I've ever seen. Every, I, I think of every sitcom I've ever seen, the opening theme song of Boy Meets World changes four times over the course of seven seasons, which is frankly ridiculous. But uh, season one, we've got a very, uh, it's a real 1980s kids show opening credits. It's very synthesizer heavy, fake computer grade harpsichord and horn section. It's kind of cloying. I, I feel like it's almost like Punky Brewster style. Uh, very long. It is. It's incredibly long. I was just sitting there waiting for it to end. Maybe also it's the visuals, because season one opens with... I mean, the opening credits fly in over the top of Ben Savage just kind of hamming it up in front of a green screen with a whole bunch of 
like Windows 95 screensaver mm -hmm. things flying around, all of them very, you know, boy centric, school centric. Mm -hmm. There's globes, there's baseballs, there's baseball gloves, there's, you know, paper pencils, airplanes. a lot of paper airplanes because that's the logo. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's. And Ben Savage is clearly being told, okay, now react like you just got hit in the head. Ouch. <laughs> and okay, now react like you, uh, like somebody just said something funny. Ah, ha, ha. And that must have been a long day for, for him and for whoever had to direct him through that. It's a really, it's a really long opening sequence. Oh, before we leave the cold open, I'm sorry. I, I gotta talk about the cold open because the... I think the first thing that we get Corey Matthews and his friends talking about is they're going over how far they got into a late night comedy show from the night before must be the tonight show. And there are context clues that it's the tonight show because one of them says, you know, monologue opening sketch. The other says monologue opening sketch, uh, funny zoo animal. Now that speaks to, I think it was Jack Hanna came on The Tonight Show and always brought animals. And then I, uh, the punchline is Corey saying, uh, monologue, opening sketch, bad sketch, funny zoo animal, Steve Lawrence. And Steve Lawrence is like, oh, you got that far. That's impressive. Uh, do you know who Steve Lawrence is? I have no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> you, you didn't even know I that? I did yeah. not grow up watching you didn't grow TV. up watching late well no. tv at all but late night shows i i get the joke is that kids kids want to stay up and watch the late night show that and that's it's a mischievous kid thing okay um i just don't buy the fact that kids would even know who steve lawrence is even if he were to appear on television steve lawrence was part of the uh the sing and dance act that appeared on the tonight show during the Carson years, which was uh, Steve and Edie, uh, Steve Lawrence and uh, Edie Gourmet, where I, if I remember right, my, my brain doesn't remember a lot of it, but they were a married couple who, you know, they, they were kind of a lounge act. Like, they would go on the show and they would sing a song and they would banter back and forth, and it was cute, it was fun, but never mind. That, that, another joke where I was just kind of like, eh. So the, the opening, the cold opening was kind of weird to me, but... Getting into the episode proper, Mr. Feeney's teaching Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, I had the same thought. I don't remember learning about Romeo and Juliet until I was in high school. That was ninth grade for yeah. us. I'm positive that we did ninth grade Romeo and Juliet. And, and then Corey's 11, so he's fifth, sixth Fifth or sixth grade? grade. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say sixth grade just because... The next season, is, they make a big to-do that it's 7th grade. But yeah, Romeo and Juliet for 11-year-olds, not a great idea, I don't think. Because you're teaching them a story about teenagers who fall in love and eventually die. Like, eventually, you're talking teenage suicide over teenage infatuation. That's, that, uh, that's a really weird message to send to 11-year-olds. So even watching this now, as almost 30, with... You know, two kids and all that. I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm with Corey. You know, I'm 11 years old. And and that's, why do I need to learn about that's this? even a line is that yeah. uh, you know Feeney sounds off at Corey about how important all of this is and the triumph of the human spirit and love. Love conquers all, and the you know the human condition. And Corey's response is, "You realize I'm only 11, right?" 
And this is definitely this first season is being painted from the kid point of view because Mr. Feeney in this pilot is kind of a dick. He's he's snippy. He's condescending. He's he's not hearing his students when they're telling him, look, we're not getting this like uh, the squints character. I, I'm so angry at myself that I didn't grab the the actor's name before we started recording, but Chauncey, what's his name, who played Squints, mm -hmm. who is Corey's friend for one episode here, he's performing the scene with a girl up up in front of the class, and even he's just like, Mr. Feeney, I don't get it. Like, she's dead. Who cares? This is where Corey is found with a transistor radio with an earplug, which those don't exist anymore, <laughs> but... It's really funny that the opening episode of a show that starts in 93, he's got essentially, he's a student with an earbud in, in class, which has to be happening in schools all over the world now. With Bluetooth. Well, yeah, these days you get a Bluetooth and you go to town, but it's really weird. He's got a little transistor radio. It's about the size of an iPod, and he's listening to a baseball game. And it is a Phillies game. I could tell because he mentions uh, uh, Dykstra is at the plate, if I remember right. I mean, I, I wasn't prepared for how much uh, baseball and little boy stuff is in season one. Because I think of Corey Matthews and I think preternaturally old man. Well, uh, I think it makes sense for there to be a lot of little boy, you know, sports-related things that he's interested in because he, he is a little boy. Yeah, it's, it's so. the big marker between season one and season two is he's 11, he's... Not yet really interested in girls. I think he even mentions that in this episode. He says, I'm not going to be interested in girls ever. So we go to the Matthews brothers' bedroom... And Eric is there talking to a girl on a giant cordless phone with a telescopic antenna mm -hmm. that goes out three feet. Man, I never had a cordless phone like that. I, I missed the boat on that and went straight to like the VTech, like clear plastic ones mm -hmm. that every teenager had at our age. See, you went straight to the phone. I'm thinking bathroom. Like... That's they true. Have they have their, their own, own bathroom. It's I I swear that the Matthews parents must have given the master bedroom with attached bathroom to their boys because they share a bathroom that is off of their bedroom. I mean, the geography of the Matthews house is weird because there are two different entrances from the kitchen to the I living love room. That. I, I love it too. And every I'm time there is a kitchen scene, that's that's what I think about. It's like I wish I had their kitchen. They also have two sets of stairs. They have a set of stairs mm -hmm. in the kitchen and a set of stairs in the living room. That's actually, if you watch a lot of uh, of the the TGIF shows, I think almost all of them have that. They all have this television household geography. It's a really strangely set up television house, but I wouldn't mind that house. I mean, it's a, that's another thing. You see the establishing shot of the house. They live in a friggin' mansion. Yeah. They live in a giant house. It's huge, a big piece of property, multiple trees in their large front yard. And uh, as we'll find out further along the line in the show, it's not mentioned in the pilot, Mr. Matthews, Alan Matthews, he's a supermarket manager. Mm -hmm. Not supermarket owner, supermarket manager. 
yeah, that's the 90s, man. That's that's Clinton dollars right there. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so Eric is talking to a girl on his giant cordless phone, and uh, Corey comes in talking baseball with him. So Corey's in fifth or sixth grade. Eric is in tenth grade at this point. He's a sophomore. So there's about, like, what, four years difference between the two? Uh, yes, yes, about four, four years difference, and Eric is, at this point, he's got a part-time job, he's not driving yet, and I think, uh, in real life, Will Friedle, who plays Eric, was just 18 years old at this point, um, so Eric bails on his brother, he bought them baseball tickets with his money, and he's bailing on him to take, uh, this girl to the baseball game instead of his little brother. Uh, taking a girl to a Major League Baseball game, is that weak sauce? Is that, like, a terrible date? It would depend on the girl. I, I mean, if he knew right off the bat that she was, you know... If she's a, a baseball, baseball fan. fan. Then, yeah, that's a great date. But if it's he's just barely getting to know her, I don't know. I don't know that I would have... Well, and also, uh, speaking of speaking of this date and Eric's dating maneuvers in this case, uh, he, he mentions, we'll just connect this to the scene at the end of the episode, we find out after the fact that when he takes the girl to the baseball game, it turns out to be a huge mistake. Uh, he says that he's stumbling around, spilling food, has nothing interesting to say, he's essentially a terrible date, and he mentions for nine long innings. Baseball games are forever, by the way. They're like four hours, at least. That is a poor choice of a first date. Now, meanwhile, Corey, who is 11 and not interested in girls, tags up by, by giving Eric dating advice that's surprisingly sound. Right. Because what he tells him... He tells him to... Well, because Eric said that he spent that entire time not talking to her... Um, oh, uh, Corey hands him the phone, tells Eric, call her. Yeah, call her, try, try again, try to make another date. Yeah, he, um, Eric says to Corey, well, what am I going to say to her? I, you know, didn't talk to her for a whole, nine whole innings. What do I have got to say now? So then Corey gives him the advice to take her to the movies because... Because he can't he talk talks, during the movie. Right. So that was brilliant especially for an 11 year old boy like, yeah and and the movie date was always my maneuver uh that, that was actually our first date was a movie it was yeah because worst case scenario you go see a movie can't talk during the movie the dancing popcorn tells you not to and then when when the movie's over then you go out and eat or do something else go for a walk or something and if you have nothing to talk about between the two of you talk about the movie mm-hmm. it's easy uh, that's that's dating 101, and the 11-year-old picks up on that and gives it to his big brother. I liked that a lot. I thought that was very sound. Am I the only one who thought that it was kind of uncool for him to uninvite his brother to the to the game? Oh, no, that was awful. Hey, that's a 10th grade older brother for you. That happened to me. This, this episode gave me a flashback from when I was a kid, because me and my brother are the same exact age difference. And when my brother was about that age, about, you know, 15, Uh maybe 16, and I was about 10 or 11, uh, him and his friend were making plans for the day. It was during the summer. We're going to go to the pool. Then after the pool, after community pool, we're going to go to the movies, see, like, Mission Impossible 2, I think it was. Mm -hmm. 
and I was going to go too, and then it turned into, oh no, some girls are coming, so you're not coming. Mm -hmm. So I did not get to see Mission Impossible 2. Aww. That's okay. My grandma took me to see it the next week, and it turns out that is the one Mission Impossible movie you can skip. <laughs> Apologies to John Woo. But anyways, Corey takes the case of my brother uninviting me to the baseball game to his parents, and they're oddly unsympathetic to their younger son. I was so surprised. Like, the, the, uh, the mom, played by Betsy Randall, uh, instantly goes to Eric and says she said yes, so he's been discussing this plan with their mom. I Did he discuss with their mom, by the way, if she says yes, I'm not taking my brother to the baseball game like I promised him, and you're going to have to hear about that from him? Well, they must have, because Corey does say that... You sold me out. Right. Like, he goes hard on his parents about this. And they were cool about it, and I... Their I was surprised. Their justification is Eric bought the tickets with his own money so he can do what he wants with them, which, yeah, but, you know, my parents... My parents really didn't pay a lot of attention to this kind of stuff, but they would have noticed if I came crying saying, uh, Adam invited me to... Well, I mean, he did invite me to the pool and a movie, <laughs> and then uninvited me, but... I mean, even in that situation, had my parents heard about it before the fact, they probably would have at least given him a cursory, dude, you promised your little brother something, right. and he's he's 11 years old. Don't don't screw with him. Don't toy with his emotions that way. Right. Especially me in movies. That was... <laughs> that was he, awful. He, he paid for it over the course of the next few weeks, I want to say. I'm sure. That's also the scene where they name-check Full House. Which is weird, because mm -hmm. Full House, I think, was also during the TGIF lineup, and was probably the number one TV, uh, TV show at the time, which is probably why they name-check it, but that's weird to, hey, it's our opening episode of our TV show, let's name-check the other show that was on probably an hour before this. Well, that makes sense. They also name-check America's Funniest Home Videos, so that's two Bob Saget references in the pilot. Uh, but we'll get to we'll get to why that was. Um, Morgan 1.0 is in this episode. She is so cute. I say Morgan 1.0 because eventually we get Morgan 2.0. Uh, it's one of the actors who's uh, phased out and replaced within the show's timeline. But Morgan 1.0 is largely used as a punchline machine. Oh my gosh, she's great at it too. yes she's she's got great comedic timing for all of being what four years old i think so i think that's what, how old she's supposed to be yeah four, yeah. yeah she's not in school yet i don't think so. no yeah. she isn't she's adorable mm -hmm. and all of her punchlines land pretty hard too they must have had a really good kid director for this show because a lot of these kids are they're pulling their weight comedically mm -hmm. i think uh the the pilot's a little bit rough with Everybody but Corey. Uh, ben Savage, the one thing you got to say about this pilot is the whole show belongs to him. I yeah. think he's in every scene. Let's see. I had a note here about costumes. Lots and lots of solid colored shirts. Corey is rocking purple, pink, orange, lots of bright sunset colors. A lot of really, really baggy pink t-shirts. Uh-huh. I want to know what that was about. I don't know if maybe that was a 90s style thing. I think it is. 
but I think it's also just maybe costuming department bought clothes a little bigger than they needed to for the kids, assuming, well, we're shooting this uh, in a couple of months, these kids could balloon up and then we've got to pay for a bunch more. Or it could have been intentional. It could have, it could have been Eric's hand-me-downs. That's true. And, and also, visually, while shooting it, it does make Corey look smaller. Mm-hmm. It kind of downplay Like, if he were to have a growth spurt, you can't change that main actor. You could probably, after this pilot, get rid of Ryder Strong, uh, Squint's friend, mm. uh, and they did. Or, you know, you could conceivably move on from the pilot with a different little girl as Morgan if she didn't work out. You could maybe even make the case that if Will Friedle did not really land Eric, which he did, but they could have conceivably recast Eric after the pilot, if that's the case, you've got to use those same clothes, right. especially if the show is on a, a smaller budget. So, yeah, it's it's really, really noticeable in the first couple of seasons, though, that Ben Savage, he's not wearing any of these clothes. These clothes are wearing him. He is a tiny little man wearing giant sleeveless hoodies, which is also a 90s staple. I wore a lot of sleeveless hoodies. Yeah, so this is coming back to, uh, we go back to the cafeteria, and Feeny, this is really where Feeny turns into a real dick for me. I don't know if you felt this too, but Feeny is very antagonistic towards his students. He is. He t- I, I felt like he took it too personally, the fact that Corey wasn't interested in the classroom. And that holds water with his character down the line. He does kind of take it personally when students... That's our coffee maker. Coffee's ready. <laughs> yeah, Feeney, he, he does take it very seriously that his students aren't interested, which, you know, if you've been a teacher for several decades, you, you can't be gobsmacked by kids not caring about Shakespeare. I, I can't imagine a teacher would still react that big. I can't imagine a teacher still put, putting that in their lesson plan that early on well yeah we've we've covered this that's it's a weird thing to teach kids at that age Corey approaches feeney in the cafeteria to try to get out of the detention that he got and feeney he doesn't even let Corey like try to soften him up he instantly antagonizes him and says he, he refers to his students as whiny and he literally says get out of my face in his defense though He's been a teacher for years. At least so, 20 years at this so point. he knows that Corey's sole purpose for approaching him then is to get out of detention. So that's probably why he kind of has a more of a harsher tone with him. But at the same time, did teachers not have, like, teacher lounges back then, like, where they would have their lunch? Well, not on television, because on television, that'd be really inconvenient for the writers. Well, the, I suppose. <laughs> if, if you'll notice, they're, for the next couple of scenes, as we get more teacher characters, they have to eat lunch in the cafeteria so that we can have teacher scenes in the cafeteria, because <laughs> they don't want to build another set. But I get what you're saying, like... Feeney doesn't have an office. He doesn't have any place. His car. I, if I was Feeney, I'd eat in my car. Get away from these kids. But yeah, um, so after that, we go to evening. And Corey has, because of, uh, because of Eric uninviting him to the baseball game and his parents taking Eric's side, 
Corey has decided to divorce his family and move into his treehouse, which is a very 11-year-old thing to do. Again, I'm just, I'm questioning the parenting and teaching methods of all the adults in the pilot, because his parents let him spend the night in his treehouse, on a school night, if I'm not mistaken. Because the next day, Corey's in school. Yeah. So did he sleep in his treehouse overnight? And it's baseball season. I think it's supposed to be about the time the episode airs, which is September. Because yeah. they're revving into playoffs. Corey's very, very revved up about the baseball game because it's an important game to get them into the playoffs. That makes it September. They let him sleep outside on a September night in, in Pennsylvania. That's interesting. But... Uh, his mom does bring him dinner. She brings him a little sack dinner of fried chicken and, and chocolate pie. Mm -hmm. And he catches through the window of his treehouse into the window a very rare glimpse of Mr. Feeney's house on the inside. Which I don't think we see again for maybe four seasons. We never go into Feeney's house no. proper, I don't think. I think maybe they finally build a set for season five. Yeah, they do. There's an episode that revolves around... Being inside being Feeney's being house. Inside, yeah. yeah. But Feeney sets up two plates, very romantic dinner, receives a phone call, we don't hear anything, and he removes one place setting and eats dinner for two by himself as Corey eats his dinner while watching. It's very melancholy mm. scene. It kind of informs on why is Mr. Feeney so hostile? He's a very sad little man in this pilot. He... He seems very unsympathetic, though, the way they've written him, to me. that It gets better. He gets, yeah. he gets much better writing, but I can tell why William Daniels uh, uh, said yes to the offer for this show. He gets so much dialogue to chew on. Mm -hmm. Very lofty monologues about, uh, once we get into detention the next day, Corey is doing the kid thing. He's whining, he's complaining, he really wants out of detention. He's been there a whole 38 minutes! Yeah, Mr. Feeney goes on a tirade about poetry, talking about uh, Emily Dickinson, Burns, uh, Shakespeare, other poets. He's bloviating about the power of love and how love is worth it, and this is what he's been trying to teach. And he kind of gets up in the kid's face and says, by God, I'm going to teach you something today, damn it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's supposed to be disarming. Mm -hmm. But I'm sitting there going, this is hostile. This is a really hostile classroom yes. scenario, yeah. and it's just one kid. Okay. There's no other kids in this detention. What do you think of the detention sequence? To be honest, I wasn't. I didn't follow with what what Mr. Finney was saying. You didn't really see like the the lesson that he's trying to impart, no, kind of meandering, not. right? Yeah, like I'm like, what is the lesson here? Like again, he's 11 years old. And Why is this so important? Well, and, and Corey makes his case by saying, look, you're trying to teach us Romeo and Juliet. I, I don't care about this kind of thing, you know? And Feeney seems so pissy, and he's, he's fed up. Yeah, I mean, there's real, no real reason as to why he's being hostile. Like, okay, maybe there's something going on in his personal life, well, which they kind of... But that's the thing, like, Corey, Corey actually, in detention, he comes at Feeney and says, you know, I know that you don't believe in this crap either, this love stuff, because last night you and I ate dinner together, mm. you know, and he tells him, I saw you in the window, you ate dinner for two by yourself, and I ate chicken. Mm -hmm. 
that's kind of the emotional turn for Feeny is, oh, you think you know something about me because you stared at me through the window. And then he starts going into his tirade. Mm -hmm. And then we get the tag up at the end of the episode that Feeny wasn't waiting for a date. He was waiting for his sister who canceled on him. And that's, it's, it's given as a punchline, like, are you confused, Mr. Matthews? Yes, sir. Mm, as it should be. But no, like, it, mm. that really kind of cheapened it. Yeah. If Corey was prying into his private life too much in that moment, that would have been justification for him kind of flying off the handle with the kid. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, they do a much better job with that later. There's an episode down the line we'll get to where... Sean reads uh, Feeney's diary when they're up at Feeney's cabin and kind of learns something about his teacher on a personal level. And mm -hmm. that that episode handles it a lot better. Granted, that's also like a 12, 13-year-old kid learning something about his teacher. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know, it's different. But uh, that's pretty much the end of the episode. Uh, Corey gives Eric his dating advice and that's, they, they kind of, make up about the baseball game and whatnot and uh we're, we're getting right down to it is this episode a classic goof em up or is it more of like a very special episode and what we mean by that when we ask it at the end of every episode is is this an episode that focused largely on comedy and just kind of character work going back and forth talking to each other and having a good time or is it an episode where we're trying to learn something if there's kind of a classic kid lesson to be learned uh what do you think i think they were trying to go for a lesson learned. i mean it's a pilot so it's a pilot and this is also when it's still a kid show right and as a kid's show they're, they're always going to try to work in a lesson for the mm -hmm. kid to learn i think they just tried too hard and it didn't quite land i well, mean at least it's the pilot. Yeah. So in the pilot, it is uh, it is a solid pilot. I mean, we're I I'm I feel like I've been dunking on it this whole time, but I I also as as I stated in episode zero, I'm I'm not a huge season one fan, mostly because I just I'm not that interested in a show surrounding an eleven year old. It's very eleven year old centric, mm -hmm. so it's going to take a little bit to get to power through it, but. It feels like a very kid show. It's very much from Corey's point of view. Feeney is an adversary. He's an antagonist in this pilot, which is... It's not the Feeney you remember if you remember this show fondly. But if you think about when you were 11 years old, um, I remember being 11 and at least one of my teachers I just did not like for whatever reason. Like, I still can't explain why I didn't like her. Yeah, absolutely. But... That's It's a very 11-year-old... It's, it's very true to life. Now my question is, is it now as an adult that you didn't, that you don't like season one, or is, has that always been your feeling? Uh, that's a good question. I it, that's definitely part of it. Part of it is that I just don't relate to Corey and his friends as eleven-year-olds because, I mean, I'm I'm thirty, but I think even as a kid, season one didn't really light me up the way. The way the high school years do. The high school years are my favorite seasons because they're the most true to life for me. Mm -hmm. Season one, it, I just always kind of felt that Corey was very entitled and very whiny. I was also, though, a kid. I paid attention in class. I did my homework. I stood up in front of the class and gave the best presentation I could. I didn't shine on my teachers. You know, I, I was not the kind of kid who would who would be sitting in detention for one. 
but also sitting in detention and complaining about sitting in detention. Right. So, and, and also, I think a socioeconomic part of it is in there with me and Corey at age 11, because he wants everything. He wants everything from his parents. He's a very entitled little kid, mm -hmm. as a lot of little kids are. I, I'm watching it, and I remember watching season one as a kid that age, or actually younger, and thinking, these people are rich. Mm. They have everything. Mm -hmm. Look at the size of this kitchen. Mm -hmm. Look at the size, look at everything they own. Also, though, I just think that Corey and most of the show gets a very big rewrite for season two. Like, they really come back and it's a different show. Yeah. And I'm, I know that people are going to get sick of hearing me talk about how much better season two is compared to season one. But I won't do that. I'll try really hard to stop doing that. And it gets better already in the next episode, which we will get back to you uh, soon. Mm -hmm. I want to say next week. We're going to yeah. try to do this weekly. That's going to be pretty much it for Pod Meets World. Uh, you can find us at uh, podmeetsworld.blogspot.com is where the show originates from. The show should be up at iTunes, Google Play, and hopefully Stitcher by now. Also, you can find us online. Uh, well, you can find me online. I'm uh, on Twitter, at Kyle Martinak. You're not on Twitter, are I you? I am not on Twitter. Yeah, so I'm at Kyle Martinak on there, and uh, you can email the show at podmeatworld at gmail.com. That is meat with no S at the end. So podmeatworld at gmail.com for any questions, comments on the episode. Maybe we'll start reading people's comments. We'll do feedback, maybe, if, if you guys are interested in that. Uh, and then, uh, until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>